ask Nadine to sing one more song. We'll sing. Can we sing Jesus's, you're the sweetest name I know? I know normally we sing a chorus that says Jesus is the sweetest name, but we have changed that around and we wanted to, we're singing Jesus, you're the sweetest name I know. Let's all stand tonight just for a few moments as we sing this chorus to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you tonight that indeed your name is above every other name that is given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved. We thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful Savior, not only a creator of the universe, but a wonderful Savior that can take upon himself humanity and come on this earth, Lord, and 
suffer and live a normal human life and die for us. Tonight, Lord, as we enter into this service, we commit the service into your hands and we commit everyone joining us tonight and those in church. Lord, we pray that your word will reach down in our hearts. And Lord, create that work, that inward work that will make us to become more like you. Just to be like you, just to have your nature, to have your, your patience and your love and your, your, your divine qualities that are so amazing. Lord, let your spirit be developed in our lives, we pray. Bless this service once again. Touch those that are not well in their bodies. And we pray, Father, that you not only heal our bodies, but heal our minds and our spirit. Lord Jesus, we bless you tonight. And we honor your name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's be seated. Recently, we have been uh, dealing with uh, all kinds of aspects of being born again. And uh, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, scripture, I mean all scriptures are favorite to me, but it's the scripture in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, tonight I was really talk, planning to talk to you about uh, the uh, scripture from the book of Romans, and we might still get into that, but here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. In chapter 1, he already told us what God has called us to become. Chapter 1, verse 4. According as he, God the Father, has chosen us in him before the world was even created. It's, it's incomprehensible. Uh, your human minds, our human minds cannot understand how is it that I was in his mind before the world was created. Well, because I'm finite and I'm human and cannot really understand infinity, I would have to just read it and try my best to simplify it in my mind and understand that before anything was ever created, God loved me and I was chosen for one purpose, I was chosen by God not to be some big fish in society. I was chosen by God not to just be a wealthy uh, person that when my life comes to an end, I said, well, I have accomplished a lot. I was chosen not to be famous in the sports world or in the movie world or in the political world. Here is what Ephesians, he writes to the Ephesians he sa and said in verse 4, According as he has chosen us in him, not outside of him, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We should be holy and without blame in him, before the foundation of the world, right? We are chosen to be holy. The point is, God has decided that you and I, his elect, must be holy. And today I was, there were so many things I was thinking while listening to tapes and, 
and trying to let my mind move. I'm thinking uh, that if there were no Bibles, you see, I'm thinking about if there were no Bibles, I would have to stand here under the inspiration of God and preach a message that you probably have never heard before. And that will be a good thing because you will have to take notes because no one has ever heard it before and it will be brand new in your mind and I would not be telling you what the people in, 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 in England need to do. I'll be telling you common things, what you need to know, to know to save your life. I would not have this volume in front of me and trying to see how I can grab something here and grab something there to give to you. It is important that you understand that. And so it is important while I'm talking to you and I might be using scripture for you to realize that there is a greater purpose for God for you as an individual than what the world is experiencing out there. And there's so much to understand about that because if I was preaching from my heart and God just put words in my mind, and Brother Joe was to write that. He's got to be writing everything down because I'm talking. And he does not have a Bible to rush to. He'll have to take, he'll have, then, then you become a real scribe. Because you're not inserting something else Paul said or James said. You have just me and what I'm saying. Do you know this was what the early church was built on? Do you know when Paul spoke, he did not uh, depend on them to search out Isaiah or Jeremiah? They were to listen to him and understand his message and incorporate his words in their lives to save them. And my responsibility is to give you messages to save you from today's age. But how can I save you when I myself need to be saved? And that is why we need inspiration. We need inspiration not only to preach the gospel, we need inspiration to present the gospel to other individuals. And the purpose behind it all is not for me when I'm finished, you say, brother, sing good job. No, the purpose of the gospel is to, in, 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 to influence you and influence myself to be holy because that's God's purpose. And so his divine plan to take us, to allow, to allow the creation to happen, to allow Adam to fall into sin, to allow the devil to be there who was created before, not as a fallen, not as a fallen angel, but all of God's plan circled around a salvation uh, you and I getting that opportunity to become overcomers and that we might enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God might be established and the world might be brought into submission to the glory and honor of God. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so here in this process that we were talking about these past uh, few services, Paul said in chapter 2, and you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And we use this as a spiritual resurrection. 
When Adam sinned, death came upon all mankind. Hold your finger in Ephesians, and there we go. I want 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When Adam sinned, and Paul describes it here in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he said, for since, verse 21, he says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Since man created death and man's transgression brought death, he says, by man, that is not man, human, human being, just an ordinary sinful human being, but by the man Jesus, also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, we all, every one of us, was uh, given this fallen nature we received as a result of Adam's transgression. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all, all be made alive. Every man in his own order. And it tells us now, it goes into the uh, physical re resurrection. It says every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, the first one from the dead. Then it says afterwards, they that are Christ when he returns. And so, when we think about death reigning on mankind, death has reigned. But Jesus came that he might bring life and give life more abundantly. And that is why when Paul is writing here in Ephesians, the second chapter, he says, uh, You had he quickened who were dead. As a result of Adam's transgressions, we are all dead. And that is why it is so absolutely important that we receive a conversion experience. If we fail to receive a conversion experience, then we cannot be perfected. We might be reformed, but not transformed. And Paul, uh, Paul was was very direct when he said this in Romans, the 12th chapter. Hold your finger in Ephesians 2 and turn with me to Romans 12, where Paul writes, and I made a statement some time ago, and I said, if everyone could live Romans 12, it will be a wonderful thing. I'm <laughs> still to take one day off and just talk about Romans 12. It doesn't seem that it's going to happen tonight. But in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, I am begging you, I beseech you. And it, it is amazing that this apostle, he's writing to the Romans. He never started the church in Rome, and you must remember these things when I tell you. Paul never started the church in Rome. Paul appealed to Caesar, and so he was sent to Rome as a prisoner. But before he got to Rome, he had already written a letter, uh, the longest epistle of Paul, I think, is the book of Romans. And when Paul was writing to the Romans, it is one of those fascinating books, uh, letters. His epistle to the Romans was fascinating. And he was writing this from, from Corinth, as far as I know, as far as we can tell, he was writing this from Corinth, and in chapter 1 of Romans, he made a statement like this, he makes some statements like this, 
He says, verse 11, he says, I long to see you. He heard about the church in Rome. And today I was thinking about myself. And I'm beating myself down in the dirt because uh, someone sent me some videotapes of their, their real Pentecostal service. One of our own brothers sent me some videotapes and he was so excited to send them to me. And I looked at the tape and the brothers, the saints were worshiping God. And I look at it and I did not see biblical worship. What was blessing the brother and made him send the videos to me was not blessing me. Because I looked at these men jumping up. Uh, they're all jumping up and lifting their hands. And the rhythm of the music and the dancing, it all looked like I don't, I don't even want to say what it looked like. But what it has done to me, it has made me understand that when Jesus said, uh, when Paul writes and he says, um, charity rejoices not in iniquity, I cannot stand in the service and agree with everyone when I think the service is in the flesh. I'm in a bad shape. I beat myself down. I, I cannot go into a meeting and everybody's carrying on hog wild, and I'm sitting there raising my hand and worship them. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. Yeah. And it's something that I have to consider because it'll make me very, very unpopular. I didn't want to be popular, but it'll make me not accepted. And when Jesus loves righteousness, and he hates iniquity. If I'm to develop his spirit, I must love righteousness and also hate iniquity. But he's saying, you must be a very holy man. No, sir, I'm not a holy man. I've not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But what people call the spirit of God and this deep moving uh, in the church is not what I see. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... Lord, why did you put me on this planet? Why did you put me at a time like this when everybody wants to do their own thing and worship God? See, as a minister, I must first be saved. And if I'm not saved, then I will still be a part of the world while I'm coming and preach to you, come out of her, my people. I'm telling you, love not the world, but if I'm caught up with the fashion of the world, and with the entertainment of the world, and with the sports of the world, and the pornography of the world, and the violent movies that Hollywood produce in the world, how can I save you? I must first save myself. And as God is saving me, and I must understand, I can't compromise the gospel even if I'm guilty of some violation of it. I must preach against sin, even though I might sin. I cannot condone evil. And when I'm thinking more than ever, I'm thinking the devil has really got this world in his grasp. You know, worship has been undermined by the devil. The devil has done more damage. And while some people are rebuking the devil, he allows them to rebuke him. To justify a religious feeling of superiority he gives them methods to make them think they're attacking him when really we can become puppets of the devil 
And so when I'm thinking of this, Paul wants to go to Rome. And if Paul knew the end result of what will happen when he went to Rome and how all day in Asia would stand against him and at his trial no man stood with him, he might have not wanted to go to Rome. I'm glad he wanted to go because sovereignty of God does a lot of wonderful things. I'm glad he wanted to go and he says, I long, verse 11, I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift that to the end you may be established. His only desire was not to take a holiday vacation to Rome. I don't really care to see it if there's no church there. If I'm going to miss a weekend and don't go to church, I wouldn't go. But I'm old-fashioned. I'm boring and old-fashioned. But I think that was how Jesus was too. In the eyes of the people, he was boring and old-fashioned. In the eyes of the people, he was contrary to their religious traditions. And so Paul writes and he says, I want to come that I might impart unto you some spiritual gifts. And then he went on, and <laughs> if they got this letter and they started to read chapter 1 and then chapter 2 and then chapter 3 and they're going down. And by the time they come to chapter 4, he says... Verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, no, not one. None that seeketh after God. He says, don't think we are all special. There is none righteous. We are striving to become righteous. He says, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that do it good. You see, the fallen nature... When we are born with a depraved, fallen nature, unless the Lord converts us, we are dead. We are dead in trespasses and sin. And even I put a white shirt on and a nice suit on, comb my hair like a Christian, and dress like one, if the heart is not converted, I'm still dead in trespasses and sin. And I'm subject to the, mode, uh, the drives of the flesh. And when the Lord, be, before the foundation of the world, he has chosen me to be holy, that can never be accomplished. Holiness can never be accomplished if there's not a genuine conversion. And that is why conversion is absolutely important. Not a fake conversion, not a facade of a Christian, but the genuine conversion of an individual. And God, as he looks at us tonight, he knows which one of us is genuine and who is not genuine. You can be a church with 500 people and no one is converted. Israel was full, maybe 2 million, 3 million individuals. And you wonder how many elect were there when Jesus only chose 12 disciples. And after three and a half years of ministry, just about 120 were left in the upper room. All the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, just about 120 were left in the upper room. I wonder why there wasn't more people in the upper room when Jesus was gone. And he told his disciples to gather there. One time he fed uh, more than 5,000 people. 
One time, 3,000 people. Their crowds were so many following him. Where did they all go when he had the upper room? Peter had the upper room meeting. So when I'm looking at 12, 13 people in church here on a Wednesday night, that's big, that's crowd, that's a crowd. In comparison to how many people we touch in the city. And so Paul wanted to go, but he could not go because Paul was a plain spoken individual. And by the time Paul came to the end, this trip to Rome, all it did, he was given one of the good things. He was given, he was allowed to live in a hired house. He was not put in jail. He was living in a house, house arrest. Uh, he was living in a house he could not leave, but people would come and visit with him. But when it came close to his trial and execution, Paul died approximately when he was about 65. They executed him. No man stood with him. And this mighty great book that he wrote did not save the people, but I'm glad he wrote it. I'm glad he wrote this book because I can read it and you can read it and we can be edified. And so in chapter 12, in verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. See, this whole Christian life is something to be lived, not talked about. The Christian life is something to be lived, not talked about. You can, be, you can know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but if the Spirit of Christ does not take a hold of you, you'll not be saved. When salvation comes in your heart and the Spirit of Jesus comes in, you have empathy for the lost. You know what the religious element in Jesus, they told him? How come... You are a man of God and you have drunkards and harlots hanging around you. Can you imagine that? He came to save not the self-righteous, but the sinners. How come you're hanging around these people? Guess what? You see, I'm standing here before you tonight. I give every man a fighting chance. Every single man a fighting chance. And if one man comes in here tonight and stands up and he says, I only look like a man, but I'm the devil. Brother saying, I'm the devil, but I just took a human form and I'm here tonight. Can you please forgive me? What do you think I'd do? Get behind me, Satan? No, I'd say, sure, I'll forgive you. Are you going to repent? That would be a day if Satan repents. Of course, it would never happen like that, but it's just to tell you my mindset. So as you sit here and listen to me, don't conclude who I should like and who I should not like. You do what you feel you ought to do, and I'll do what I feel what I ought to do. And when a man falls, I'll be there to lift him up. And when a man falls again, I'll be there to lift him up. And if he falls 470 times, I'll be there to lift him up. Because my job is to save the lost. My patience in this church over these 42 years is to be here to save you that are sitting here. And you might feel like you don't need to be saved. That's fine. I'm here to be there to save you. And so Paul says, <clears throat> he says, 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your bodies, is, your bodies are the temples of God. And he says, this, this body that you have, everyone, you put your hand on your chest like that. You see, this body that you have, it's not yours. Be careful how you treat it. Be careful what you eat, how you take care of this body, because not only natural, not only spiritual cleanliness I'm talking about, I'm talking about natural cleanliness. How about the cleanness mindset? Because if we're to live for God, our bodies are the temples of God, we're to present our bodies living sacrifices. Never ever hold yourself back from being a sacrifice for God. Don't ever feel it's too cold to go out and serve God. Let's serve God. Holding God on the highest pedestal in our lives. And so Paul says your body is a living sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Not corrupted sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. I told Brother John tonight. I turned around. And looked at Brother John, and he looks like a child of God. Amen. I look at him tonight, suit on, white shirt, polished shoes. If you were in the army, Brother John, the general would be pleased with you. Because your dressing conditions your mind. You think I can wear a runners and come and preach? No. Your dressing conditions your mind. Not that your dressing saves you. White shirts don't make your heart change. But I'm telling you, your dress speaks for you. It conditions your mind. Your physical cleanliness is important. And it conditions you with a spiritual cleanliness. You understand what I'm saying? Your tidiness, your, your punctuality... Uh, it's, it's, uh, I do not, I'm never late on a, on a payment for a credit card or something like that. My body is to present it before God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is not asking too much. Isn't that what it says? Which is a reasonable service. And he says, be not confirmed to this world. But be transformed. I'm standing here preaching to you. But if I am confirmed to this world. What you mean? Brother Singh confirmed to this world. Well whatever the ungodly man is running and doing out there. If I'm doing that. I need to be saved. If I had to sit back and find out which hockey team is winning the next uh, sports. And that gives me thrills and goosebumps. And I'm a pastor. I need to be saved. If the next designer's clothes come out and that's what I've got to get, I need to be saved. I cannot allow the world to influence me. What they do out there, some things are good and some things are not good. I'm glad for men that runs the government and has political influences. And I don't agree with their immorality or their, their, their acceptance of wrong things. But if they're a good leader... I am glad for the leaders. I pray for those in authority. And he said, he says, and be not confirmed to this world, 
but be reformed by your outer garments. No, he says it's not a reformation. It's a transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, Christ has to get a hold of my mind. That is why Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I have to learn to love like he loves. I have to learn to uh, be patient like he's patient. I have to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. If I'm to develop the spirit of Jesus, these are things I must develop. My friends, it is not just singing songs and attending church and dancing in church. It is living right. It is living right. It is slowly asking God to save me from the influences of an ungodly world. Brother Singh, are you completely free? No. I still like to look at some shows. You know, ever so often I can waste an hour, waste an hour and a half just looking at something. Take a break. I call it times to relax. And yet at the same time I can relax with my message playing and I'm listening to that. There are things we can do to enhance our spiritual growth and development. It's a life, my friends. It's not a talk. It's not a mechanical operation. It's a life. And Paul went on, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove or experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? You see, today we're not concerned about the will of God because I plan and hope God fits into my agenda. As children of God, we must come to the place that we pray every day, like Jesus said, and say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What does God want you to do today? What does God want you to do next month? Are you just going to look at television and see commercials and what the ungodly is doing? You want to do? As I'm being in the process of God saving me, I hope you're in the process of God saving you. And Paul says, you had he quickened who were dead. Uh, back in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, and you had he quickened. He quickened means he brings you from a dead spiritual state unto life, a lively one. So you were dead, you come on in, you're dead. You don't have any desire for God. But when the Lord quickens you and the Spirit of God touches your life, it changes you. You're quickened means you're brought to life. We walked according to the course of this world. See, the world comes in again. Uh, we walked according to the course of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world. My friend, this world is very vast. The other word for world is Babylon. Spiritual Babylon and the world is the same thing. Over, turn your finger, uh, your pages over to Colossians, the second chapter. We got less than 10 minutes to go, but this is a good night. And Paul is writing to the Colossians. He says here in a few verses, verse 21, And you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
but yet now had he reconciled there was one time we were we were living according to wicked words that's because we were dead to life to God and alive to the flesh but the Lord quickens us and we who were once aliens are now closer to God reconciled to God he says in the body of his flesh to death why did Jesus die that he might present you holy and unblameably, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight? And what would he do? Verse 7, he says, um, oh, Paul says in verse 23, same chapter, verse chapter 1, verse 23, he says that he'll present you blameable, a holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, unmovable, un, unreprovable, right? In his sight. If, you know, sometimes you like a word, a single little word says, if, everybody say if. if yeah. He's going to do that job to you if you continue in the faith. Not only continue floating around, but grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which he, you have heard and which was preached to every creature that is under heaven. Whereby, where, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Chapter 2, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. See, that is why we need a conversion. And then we need not just conversion, we need to go on to different lifestyle. It, you don't say, well, Jesus, I'm saved, praise the Lord. From now on, I'm saved. No, no, no. To be saved and to be converted, there's a conversion is a continuous process. Because you're developing Christ in you. You're, you're, you're striving to become holy. You don't just snap your finger and become holy. There's a life. Holiness is a life to be lived. Holiness is a lifestyle. And he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. And he says, don't let any man spoil you in philosophy. Verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcised in your flesh. Spiritually, you're dead. Literally, in the flesh, you're uncircumcised. He says, hath he quickened. Jesus quickens you together with him and having forgiven you of all your trespasses. You've got to come to the altar one day. And I'm thinking today we really need a baptismal pool in this church because you might be in church and not water baptized. You need to be water baptized. You need to have that time in your life where you say, Lord, I'm changing my life and I want to serve you. Cleanse me from my sin. Give me that quickening experience. Let this dead man, spiritually speaking, receive some life. And when that happens, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, And you, and if you then be risen with Christ, that's not literal resurrection, that's a spiritual resurrection. If you're risen, you're dead, right? You come to Christ, I'm dead, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And then he quickens you. And you receive the spiritual resurrection. If you then be risen with Christ. What you need to do. Just lay back and breeze on in anytime you want. No. Seek. Seek diligently. Seek desperately. 
those things which are on the earth. See how you can get a good retirement and all that's your concern. No, no, no. That is good. But seek heavenly things. Want to become spiritual. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. And what you need to do, verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Listen, let the first choice when you say, I want to serve God with all my heart, God must be on the highest pedestal in your life. Amen. You, you're having problems in life with things happening in your life. You put God on the highest pedestal and it changes all the things. See, God creates circumstances and negativism in your life because you don't have him on the highest pedestal. Some of us can never ever put him there, but we must come to the place where God goes on the highest pedestal more than my wife, more than my mother, more than my father, more than my husband, more than my brother, more than my sister. God must be on the highest pedestal. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall come the second time and has appeared, then shall you also appear with him in glory. But you've got to do something now while you're on earth. Everybody, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Present your bodies a holy and living sacrifice. Here is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. He says, mortify, bring in subjection uh, your members which are upon the earth. Uh, avoid fornication and uncleanness. Uh, that's impurity. Inordinate affection, inordinate affection. Uh, that is lustful affections, evil concupiscence. He says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, this chapter is as good as chapter 12 of Romans. He's telling you how you can become holy. You don't become holy because you think, I'm holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. No, no, no. You've got to make an effort. You've got to make sacrifices. You've got to make, do something in order to succeed in any phase of life. Any phase of life. You want to graduate out of school properly? Then study. You want to take up a trade? Then give it the best shot. Anything you want to do, do it to the best of your ability. And so is serving God. Do it to the best of your ability. He goes on here. He says, uh, uncleanness, inordinate affection, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God these things bring the wrath of God comes upon the churn of disobedience. Nobody gets away. He says, in the which you walked sometime in the past. You lived according to the course of this world, according to the flesh one time. Are you still living in the flesh? Children of God, we need to advance in holiness. Advancing in holiness means you're not staying in the same place. You see, a treadmill does not take you anyway. If you want to go to Toronto, you just get on the treadmill and punch in Toronto. You're not going anywhere. And that is what is happening to many Christians. We are on a spiritual treadmill going nowhere. For us to become holy, you've got to work on it. For us to become unblameable, we have to work on it. For us to develop the spirit of Christ, we have to work on it. Come on, I'm telling you how to live for God. 
And he goes on here. He says, now, now what you have to do? And he says, verse 8, And now you also, there are some things you need to set your affections on, but there are things that you need to put off. Everybody say put off. He says, put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, dirty talk out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another that you may put off the old man. See that you put off the old man. The old fallen nature, put them off. Otherwise, you'll receive life today and you'll be dead tomorrow. Life must be pursued. See, I'm planting those little bulbs in the bottom there and I see one coming up and that's wonderful. So I come home and rejoice and leave it. It will die. It needs to be watered. It needs to be nurtured. And as I do that in the natural world, I have learned, listen to me, but it's saying you're wasting time doing gardening. Listen, I've learned more doing gardening and doing security than a person learns in Bible school. Because all you do in Bible school is brainwash yourself. When you deal with these little things in life, you develop a sense of care and feeling. And you know what it is to take an almost dead plant and bring it back to life. You know how to take a dead Christian and bring him back to life. You know how to take a person fallen in sin and bring him back to life. Don't give up on individuals in this world. God has not given up on me and I can't give up on anyone. And then Paul went on here and I'm going to finish here. He says, verse 12, put on. Here's your put off. Uh, put off. Where is that? Where is the put off? Uh, he says, put off, verse 10, put off, uh, put on the new man, put off, verse 9, put off the old man, put on the new man. The old man is of old fallen nature, put on the new man, which is Christ. He says, put on, therefore, verse 12, as the elect of God. You, as you elect of God, well, I'm elect, I'll be saved. No, no, no. The elect of God has a responsibility to live for God. The elect of God has a responsibility to attend church. The elect of God has a responsibility to be charitable. The elect of God has a responsibility not to hobnob with the ungodly element of society. It is your God-given responsibility. You don't grow in God doing nothing. You have to develop growth. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercies. Bowels of mercies. He says kindness. Everybody say that with me. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. You don't kill yourself. You know a lot of us build our own casket. We build our own casket because we create the stumbling block. We'll take this up some other time. Time is gone on me. He says um, above all things put on charity. Above all things, put on charity. And that would send you to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13 again. Because charity is a wonderful thing to have. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The purpose of God through all of this is to present uh, individuals with the Spirit of Jesus. That we grow to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That will help God to govern 
the coming kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this another night in your house. We thank you for these challenges you have given us from Scripture. Lord, we're not just to have an emotional fix, but we are challenged to live a godly life, to follow after your ways, to live godly, to avoid the world, to not be conformed to this world, but to avoid the world and develop godliness, to put off the old nature and put on that which is godly and holy. Help us, Father, we pray. Let these words challenge our lives to a change of lifestyle. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.